The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous supporters. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash donate. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode number 92. Hi, I'm Don Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series Doctor Who. Today we're discussing our much sought-after advice for the new showrunner for Doctor Who, Chris Chibnall. And joining me today on... I know. I just keep getting texts from the guy. He won't leave us alone. (laughs) (laughs) And joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Steek. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? So I'm sure Chris is not getting any advice from anyone else but us. So uh, he's he's probably desperate for some advice. Why would he want it? (laughs) So before we get into that advice, um, I just wanted to, uh, to encourage the listeners to check out, if they haven't yet, our uh, revival of our Secrets of Star Trek series, uh, podcast series, uh, that uh, we've got going now that you can download from sqpn.com, featuring, of course, me and Father Corey and Jimmy. <laughs> we're not just Doctor yeah. Who fans, we're also Star Trek fans, and uh, we're, we're, go- we're digging into the wealth of Star Trek. If, if there's a, sh- if there's a show that has nearly as many episodes, uh, as Doctor Who, uh, available, it's Star Trek is they, they are in good competition with one another for amount of stuff to talk about. And so, uh, so I encourage you to go to sqpn.com and check out the secrets of Star Trek and subscribe to the podcast and uh, get it in your podcast feeder, uh, feed reader. Uh, so, uh, that said, uh, you know, to lay the groundwork, of course, if you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, you know that we're up just about, we're on the verge of receiving this new season of Doctor Who that feature that features a, what probably the biggest change in Doctor Who since the revival of the series in 2005. We have a, a whole new showrunner, um, Stephen Moffat, uh, who, who has headed it for, gosh, I should have looked it up, how many seasons? Seven years? Se- seven I seasons? I it was 2010, I well, 2010 is when he, I think he took it over, okay, I just so, saw. Yeah, so it hasn't quite seven ye- seasons, but seven years, um, but for quite a long time. And you know, and now we also have a new Doctor, and for the first time, as as you know, you're you're quite well aware, the Doctor is now uh, played by a woman, uh, Jodie Whittaker, and, uh, and lots which of things. Makes, which, which makes this not just the biggest change. I mean, it's easily the biggest change since the revival of the show in 2005. It may be the biggest change. We'll have to see. It may be the biggest change in the show since Patrick Troughton became the second doctor and we had the first regeneration. That, that's depends, a good point. Yeah. De- depends on how, on how profound they make the effects of the recasting when they could play that different ways. So let's talk about exactly. that uh, as our first bit of advice. So what is it, how would you advise Chris Chibnall to deal with the doctor now being a woman? Should, should this change be a big part of it? Should the, the idea that, you know, the, the, the first episode or the first season even be all about the doctor kind of adjusting to the differences between, you know, from, uh, being a man for a thousand years because the doctor is you know two thousand years two thousand years. years old um, 
to now suddenly being a woman um, and all, and how different that is and, and how, I mean, because you can get into all sorts of things. It could get into how people treat women differently and, you know, from being a, from a man's perspective, being a woman suddenly kind of like uh, 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 a, a modern version of Tootsie, if you're old enough to remember that old, <laughs> uh, was it Dustin Hoffman? Played? Dustin Hoffman. Yeah, Dustin mm-hmm. Hoffman yep. movie. From ages ago, uh, long before most of you were born, and uh, and uh, you know, should it be that, or should it be sort of a uh, oh, brilliant, I'm a woman. Now let's go on to have some adventures and totally mm-hmm. ignore it, uh, or something in between. I mean, what do you think, Father Corey? I'll let you start because uh, I, I know I, Jimmy I, has some some opinions on this. Oh story. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, kind of you know, backtracking a little bit when I when we were talking about Bill, one of my biggest complaints is it felt like every other episode was, "Hi, I'm Bill, and I'm gay." Right. You know, that's how she introduced herself or how the topic came around. You know, it felt very forced. And I guess my advice is avoid that. Yes, you're, you're they're going to deal with issues of how women were treated in the past. And my thought was don't ridicule the past for their standards. You know, that that's that's hypocritical, first of all, because we expect that everybody forever will hold us to our our standards now. But back then, you know, they have to follow our standards. But I think it's good storytelling if they can work around that, you know, where instead of ridiculing it, that the doctor can almost kind of show them up by working around it. You know, the um, it's it's it just shows that they're better writers than just doing that. Well, look at these backwards Victorians. Look at these backwards Romans. Look at these backwards, whatever. You know, they're not as progressive and enlightened as we are today. You know, and that that's uh, that that's just turns people off. I mean, that that they're, they're not it's not good storytelling, in my opinion. We kind of saw that a little bit. Uh, the, the bad version of it that you're talking about in uh, last season uh, under the ice, I think it was uh, mm-hmm. again, when they were in. Uh, what was it uh, either? I think pre-Victorian England, but uh, right. might have been Regency England. But, you know, sort of the, the attitude toward Bill as a as a, a, a black woman. Um, right. was, you know, and, and still the doctor punched out the guy who was, you know, being so, and it sort of, I mean, he was the villain, of course, so he deserved to be punched in the nose, but it was sort <laughs> of, uh, turning up their nose at the whole era for its, um, uh, it, it, you know, its attitudes. Um, and then we saw a little bit of that with the, with, uh, um, the Chris, the last Christmas special where the first doctor Kind of, it kept coming up his attitude toward women, um, which was exaggerated they, they, that he didn't really have that attitude towards no, women when right, William no. Hartnell was on the air. Exactly. No, and that was, and that that's the kind of thing I'm afraid they're going to do. Uh, you know, one one example of a show that has gone the extreme is uh, Legends of Tomorrow. You know, I like that some of the DC series, uh, superhero series, Arrow and Flash. And I tried to watch Legends Tomorrow, but it was I don't think even got through the first half of the first season. Yeah. And I just shut it off because it seemed like every episode she was flaunting the standards of the time, you know, seducing these women. You know, she's homosexual. And Hmm. every episode there was some allusion to that. Yeah, there there was a couple episodes. I think I remember watching the the, and I I, I gave up for the same reason. there was set in the fifties, I think it was. Yeah, and there was so, one in particular that was set in the fifties that was yeah. like that, where she seduced a nurse. You know, this nurse Just, was repressed. I, and, I, I I have never seen this show, so yeah. who is she? Sorry. Oh, sorry, uh, I forgot to mention her name. Her name is Sarah. Um, she's the uh, the white canary. White white canary. 
Yeah. Oh, okay. So there's a white canary now in addition to a black canary. Yep. She used to be the black canary. Okay. But then she died and came back. <laughs> oh, well, as black canary, she was clearly heterosexual. She and Oliver Queen were like a thing forever. Yeah. yeah. And well, in now, the now TV series, they were too. Opposite. Yeah. yeah. She's yeah. gone the exact opposite now. Yeah. Mm. And, and so um, the... Uh, how to put it. Yeah, so they made the, a big deal in the in in Legends of Tomorrow a big deal about uh, you know how we're we're going against these backward attitudes of the past, which are we're insinuating are all are still backward attitudes of the present. Um, so so we hope so your your hope there is or your advice there is you know don't ma- don't make combating historical attitudes toward women a a a major focus of this of this doctor's. Right personality or, or their time here. Um, Correct. How about, how about you, uh, Jimmy? Um, I've said previously on this show that they have a kind of a difficult situation to navigate because there are all kinds of social justice warriors today who want her to come out as I am woman, doctor, hear me roar. Mm-hmm. And if they do that, they're going to alienate all kinds of fans. There's already been complaints the show is too political, that it's gotten more political in recent years, and that that's not what the audience is here for. This is a children's, it, I mean, it's predominantly oriented towards children. Uh, it at least needs to be accessible to children. And it's an adventure show and it's escapism. It's not meant to be, it's not meant to get into politics in this heavy way. And so, um, so, if they throw red meat to that group, they're going to alienate a lot of their fans and they're, they're going to have ratings problems. What they really need to do is a Patrick Troughton. The thing about Patrick Troughton, and it's the reason he's my favorite doctor, is uh, he came in at the tail end of stern old William Hartnell and was charming. He was he was he didn't come across as arrogant. I mean, sure, he had his moments and he uh, being stern or whatever, but he he didn't come across as arrogant. He came across as humble. He had this Columbo thing going where he would before Columbo, where he would get people to underestimate him. And he was he was just a delight and he was incredibly likable. And after all of the uh, attack eyebrows uh, Peter Capaldi era with his arrogance. Um, they need Jodie Whittaker to come in and just be fun. They need her to just not make a big deal of this, of the gender, just come in, be fun for everybody. Somebody, everybody can like in terms of dealing with historical stuff. I know they're going to do that. They've even mentioned that at a panel at Comic-Con that there will be some encountering attitudes like that. How they deal with them will be interesting to me. I can imagine a number of different ways of dealing with them that in and of themselves would be fine. In uh, for one, for one thing, the wise woman archetype has been part of human culture since forever because there have always been wise women and the doctor can cast herself in in that kind of light as uh, you know through her and her companions she's the wise woman type. Um also from time to time, she could even be a little flattered by uh, by the ideas of, you know, she's getting special treatment. Um, mm-hmm. She could uh, she could even do a kind of Columbo with that and use attitudes towards women in the past as a way of getting people to underestimate her 
that she can then use to her advantage. All of those, you know, would be uh, conceivable. But what we need to avoid is a diet. And I don't mind an occasional, oh, someone just said something because I'm a woman. I'm going to roll my eyes at that. Mm -hmm. But what we don't need is is just running down mm -hmm. other historical periods. If this if 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 your attitude about social mores is so hair trigger um, that you're going to be looking down your nose at everything that's not the way you were raised or not the way you prefer things at another time, then you shouldn't be a time traveler. Being a time traveler implies a certain kind of non-judgmentalism and broad-mindedness towards people who have different mores than you. And it's, that's something I think people who are writing shows today where they do that, where they look down all those those ignorant people in the past, we're going to be the ignorant people in the past someday. <laughs> yeah. There are things that they hold dear, you know, I mean, there are going to be examples of stuff that they're promoting today that 100 years from now is like, oh, those idiots at the oh. turn of the 21st century. They know five nothing. years from now. Yeah. Things are so hair trigger now. Yeah. Five oh, years true. from now, there are going to be things that are taboo. Oh, that that is so 2018. That's totally taboo. Their kids yeah, are exactly. going to their kids are going to roll their eyes at them. So trust me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, and it's so. One of the things. Oh, sorry. oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, go. No, go ahead. Well, I was going to say that one of the things Chris Chibnall said uh, at, at Comic Con was uh, that uh, the doctor being a woman is isn't a big deal in the first episode. It sort mm -hmm. of gets acknowledged, um, but the fact is, is there the bigger problem is as we saw at the very end of the Christmas special and the regeneration is her bigger problem is she's fallen out of a TARDIS and is plummeting to the earth. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and really, in, 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 in fact, we even saw in a leak uh, that yeah. came out of the BBC, it's apparently set sometime after she's landed on earth and she's meeting her first two companions for the first time. And she hasn't even noticed she's a woman yet. Right. Right. Yeah. Why do you uh, keep calling me ma'am? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. So, and that that's that's somewhat encouraging. And then he went on to say, I, I, I think, like we've been su suggesting, uh, that it while it does come up, you know, in historical time periods, um, as it always has, frankly, uh, uh, historical attitudes toward women and to mm -hmm. men, even to to the doctor. Sometimes that's been the case, uh, right into classicu. Um, so it, it's. It's not a big deal, and so that's that's that that is encouraging. So, uh, congratulations, Chris Schimmel, for taking your advice on that. <laughs> By the way, one th one thing that, and it, it, I, in watching a panel from this summer's Comic Con, there it was interesting to see how they handled this, and there was a particularly telling moment right at the end of the panel where they were asking each of the actors, "What does it mean to them to be on the show?" And, you know, that's kind of a nothing question for most of them. It's like, oh, it's the greatest thing ever. You know, what are yeah. you going to say? Um, but when jo when it came Jodie Whittaker's time to answer, she was the last one. And she wanted to say something about the uh, that it's meaningful to her as a woman to play the doctor, which, of course, is entirely reasonable. Um, she did it in such a way that it was clear that they had thought through very carefully how to handle the the issue and they did not want to alienate people. Mm -hmm. um, so what she said was, you know, growing up, I would see all these people on television who didn't all look like me. And it really means a lot to me to be playing those kind of roles now. And in the future, 
you know, everybody can, you know, see heroes on TV that look like them and they can grow up and play these roles too. And it's obvious, you know, what she was saying is by they didn't look like me, she meant they were men. Right. Um, but she was avoiding using potentially more inflammatory terminology. So it looked to me like they were trying to address the, you know, the reality of the issue. I mean, this is a significant change for the doctor. It's a significant thing for Jody Whitaker. But they were trying to do it in a way that didn't alienate people. And to me, that was a hopeful sign. And that, that definitely is, because one, one of the things that I, I had written down of, of a don't, you know, I can be like my don'ts and do's yeah. is don't get preachy. In this show, I mean, so much we're going to talk yeah. about is don't get preachy. First of all, that's my job. I'm a Catholic. That's my job. Don't take my job. You won't do it as good as I do. Trust me. Uh, no. It, and as you kind of hinted, you mentioned earlier, Jimmy, um, we want to be entertained. We watch this show because we want to be entertained. We want the escape for 45 minutes that this show brings. Gosh, there's I enough. Actually, I think they're doing an <laughs> yeah. hour. Yeah, there's enough you know. junk on on social media and in the news. We want to get away from that for a while. We we want yeah. to jump in the TARDIS and go someplace where we don't have to worry about it. Yeah. And we don't we don't want the issue of the week forced on us. Again, there are so many so many shows that they feel like they have to preach about whatever the issue of the week is. And it just right. it becomes tiresome. I think there's gonna I think there's gonna be some of that on this show as they go to some other time periods. I think that but I hopefully we won't get too much on too much uh, divisive stuff involving gender. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So um, you, you mentioned the 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 the, uh, the what we sometimes call the fat pope thin pope problem, uh, which is, is the change of personalities the from stodgy uh, William Hartnell to uh, funny comic Patrick Troughton, um, and mm -hmm. so we we're going from uh, attack eyebrows Peter Capaldi to to this doctor, and we, we've. We've already heard that um, when when asked to describe the the new doctor, uh, Jodie Whittaker says uh, that she's um, uh, fizzy and full of wonder. Um, Chris Chimmel has said things like he he, he harkens uh, the new doctor to a bit like Matt Smith, uh, for good or for ill. <laughs> for Hopefully, without the Matt Smith arrogance. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. But what should the new doctors, this new doctors, what what is your advice to Chris Chibnall for how this new doctor's personality should should uh, emerge, especially, uh, you know, after the first episode and the post regeneration craziness? Um, what how what should the new doctor's personality be like? I, I definitely agree with the you know tone down the ego, get rid of the ego. You know, um, some of the best doctors are the ones that would regularly have to say, I don't know what's going on. Let's find out. Right. You know, mm -hmm. how, how many adventures would start out? I have no clue what's going on, but you know what? We're <laughs> going to figure this out. <laughs> and also the, you know, some of the more beloved episodes, at least in my opinion, both classic and new who are the ones where they don't take themselves quite so seriously. You know, as much as we love Dr. Who it's not yep. deep science fiction. It's not deep, heavy, hard-hitting science fiction. It should be light. It should be fun. Yes, they can deal with difficult subjects. They can deal with, you know, menace and, you know, it's also a little bit scary usually. But don't take itself so seriously. Unfortunately, I think that's something that's happened with New Who 
is sometimes it gets itself a little too serious. And Matt Smith actually was a good example of that. Yes, he was humorous. Yeah. But I think there were episodes during Matt Smith where I think he got a little too serious about himself. He was just too arrogant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I agree. I think they really need I think their model should be, an, if possible, even nicer version of Patrick Troughton. This doctor needs mm -hmm. to have a sense of adventure. She needs to be fun. She needs to be funny. She needs to have wonder. Um, and she needs to be humble, which is something we have not had in uh, new, era, new era Doctor Who. We did have it in Classic Who. Uh, Peter Davison's doctor was humble. Mm -hmm. Patrick Troughton's doctor was humble. Um, but uh, we've had a run of, of varying degrees of arrogance up to this point. I mean, we, we, we've more had the, uh, the, the sixth doctor model of arrogance a bit. Then we have had, say, the seventh Doctor, even uh, Sylvester McCoy, yeah. uh, mm -hmm. who was was even more humble. Often, I mean, I I've, I love some of the you know most of the new Who uh, Doctors, but you're right. The the they they especially with Stephen Moffat, he tended to amp up the characters and the arrogance and the attitude and the yeah. the greatness of the man. Uh, to a point where he it just turns it up to eleven. Yes. He turns them up to eleven. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> So, um, uh, so I saw I, what you did there. <laughs> yeah. So I, uh, I, ag I agree that make the doctor humble, fun, um, a sense of, I like the, the idea that, you know, hearing that a sense of wonder, um, that, that should be good. So, uh, you know, we, we, we're all big fans of the show. You guys have been fans a lot longer than I have, as, as I always point out, but uh, I've also been a fan of the new who from, from, for a long time now myself, but they, they've talked about, this is a good entry point for new fans. They've, they're really serious about, uh, you know, kind of putting a, a marker here and saying, if you're, if you're new to Dr. Who, if you're curious about this new female doctor and, and what that's all about, this is going to be a good entry point for new fans. Um, which and, and they've made a direct appeal to fans to go out and tell your friends if you have any interest, now is your time to jump on. Exactly. Uh, it was just like the, re the return of Doctor Who in 2005 was. Um, so uh, what balance should they strike between making it accessible to new fans versus uh, servicing the, the older fans? Uh, because when you when you I have to I suppose I should point out when you make something accessible to new fans, it sort of means, well, in a pejorative sense, you might say dumbing down. But what 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 it really means is 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 now you have to ex sort of explain things again, or you have to kind of go back to basics. Um, and you know you can't just throw a Dalek on screen and expect someone to know what it is, or or more or most people know what a Dalek is actually even who don't watch Doctor Who, but but you can't just throw, say, uh a Zygon on the screen and expect people to know what it is. Uh, if if you're catering to new fans. So what mm -hmm. balance, how should they strike this balance between those? I, I think that what they need I mean, they obviously need to include both elements or you're gonna have unhappy people. If you if you have no references to the classic series, you're going to alienate the longtime fans who want to know how it relates and they want to hear references to things. If you had too much of that, you're going to alienate the new viewers you're trying to bring in. So what I what I think they should do and what I think they're going to do is largely go 
with all new monsters. We may see a classic monster in the season finale or something, but it's largely going to be all new. So you don't have a baggage of having to, you know, give everybody the backstory of the Zygons or the Cybermen or the Daleks. Um, but there will be references on the dialogue level to classic things, just little throwaways about, oh, yeah, I remember when I was on this planet. And we will know as the the longtime fans what they're referring to. But if you're a new fan, that'll just kind of blow past you. Okay. okay. Uh, Father Corey, do you have any uh, uh, advice on how to balance those? You know, interesting. I think they should really go back and look at 2005. Look at the introduction of New Who. That's I think that's one of the reasons why it has succeeded is because they did have a good balance. You know, the first couple of episodes about the only thing I mean, they had. Yeah, they had, had the, the Autons. Autons. But those they were kind of a throwaway alien anyways. They were just there to set up. This is the doctor. This is the TARDIS. This is, you know, who the doctor is. This is setting up a companion. If you they were just. If you didn't know that the Autons were from Classic Who, it didn't matter. Like I didn't know right. until I until yeah. I talked to you guys. And, and that's yeah. And I think and that was kind of the point is they were just the the alien of the week to to get us into the story. Um, and I I think it wasn't until what I think Dalek was the third episode. I can't remember yes. third episode, fourth episode. I can't remember which. Yeah. But it was you know there was a couple episodes under the belt before they got into. Okay, now we're going to start bringing in the classic Who monsters. And actually, that was a good episode because they showed like the Cyberman head. They showed a couple of trinkets from classic Who, if you will. Um, and I think I think they that's what they need to do is they need to go back and look at that. Now, maybe they don't need to go all the way to ground zero like that did, but it's still a good reference point yeah. for them going forward. It's a good model mm-hmm. to follow. Yeah. Yeah, my sense is they're going to go even lighter on the classic stuff, at least this first year. Which is fair enough. I mean, that's that's mm-hmm. that's not a bad thing either. You, there's no nothing to say. I'm sure the Daleks will show up because I think they still have that contract where they have to have them every year. But <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that's that actually was going to be the next thing I was going to bring up is, is, you know, what villains that from New Who should we see? So, uh, you know, any any villains or uh, monsters that are that began in new who uh and then what reimagined monsters from classic who that showed up in new who like daleks and cybermen and zygons and silurians um and 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 then maybe what monsters from classic who that we haven't seen yet do you do you want to see um so i mean any of those things I I don't think there are many. I mean, I'm sure if I sat down with an episode list and went through all the monsters in the new era, I could find some that are worth bringing back. But the only ones that are really stand out to me are the Weeping Angels. And mm. unless you've got unless you've got a, a great new thing to do with the Weeping Angels, I don't see why you'd want to bring them back. Um, in terms of classic who, there's a lot of stuff you could bring back. I'm kind of I'm kind of tired of Daleks and Cybermen for right now. We just got the Mondasian Cybermen back and that was good. They are this they are the most effective form of the Cybermen where you can tell there's a human under there. Mm-hmm. Um and but we've just had them and so I don't want to see them again immediately. 
Daleks, I'm kind of, I've seen so many Dalek stories doing so many different things. I hope they just um, show us Daleks doing something kind of like they did in that trailer uh, in in the most recent season where they introduced Bill, where we just saw Daleks very briefly. They didn't focus a whole story on them. Um, I'd like to see that again to let the Daleks have just to satisfy their contractual obligation with the estate of Terry Nation. Maybe they could even renegotiate that and say, okay, we don't have to do it every year. Um, but I'd like to see something very brief with them. Um, I, in, in, in terms of who, I, I don't really have any burning. I want to see this again. I kind of wish I have. I mean, I'd like to periodically see various things, but I don't have a burning desire. The closest thing I have to that would be I'd like to see the Zarbi again. I think if you really want to do something wondrous with um, and show off uh, Jodie Whittaker's sense of wonder that they've been touting, go back to the web planet and show us the web planet with modern production values. That would be fascinating. If you're not familiar with that, it's a William Hartnell episode from back in the time of the first doctor and they've never been back to it on the tv show but what they tried to do was imagine a planet where the the biosphere included multiple sentient or semi-sentient races based on insects Hmm. and um and it you know at the time it was chicken wire and chewing gum budget but they they really threw their hearts into it and really tried to make it impressive and just watching it in black and white. And, yeah, it's a children's show budget, but they really put a lot of a lot of imagination into this. And it's really cool to watch. And I'd love to see that with modern production values. OK, OK. Um, Father Corey, do you have anything, uh, you know, the advice on uh, the monsters? Well, I'm sure we'd love to see the Slitheen again. No. <laughs> no. Do not bring back the Slitheen, period. <laughs> no, just kidding. Um, you know, as far as creatures are concerned, yeah, there really aren't any that, that stand out as we need to see these again. Um, I know it, it's been talked over and over again. I would like to see the Ronnie again. Mm. You know, that, that's, that was a character mm-hmm. that was used twice, three times in Classic Who, and then completely dropped. Okay, but uh, if we're go- if we're going to have the Ronnie, it needs to be a male Ronnie now. Well, there you go. <laughs> well, that's I mean, there were several in the classic. There were several uh, Gallifreyan Time Lord uh, villains mm-hmm. that showed up mm-hmm. uh, in New Who. We we generally had we had Rassilon and we had the Master, and that was pretty much it. Right. Yeah, um, right. I, I no, I sent. I kind of put the master in a separate category. I do want yeah. to obviously see the master again at some point, right. and yeah. I wouldn't mind seeing Missy. Right. Uh, and seeing how she relates to Jodie Whittaker. I also wouldn't mind seeing River Song and mm-hmm. how she relates to Jodie Whittaker. Um, in terms of um, of Time Lords, also, I would really like to see the meddling monk. The meddling monk was the first Time Lord we ever met other than the Doctor and Susan. Um, he shows up in a couple of episodes of the show, and he's been in a number of big finish things. But he's kind of like the master, only less evil and more humorous. Um, he's a trickster. He he he's not really. He's a little selfish and stuff. But he can he's he can stray over the line into goodness more easily than the master can. And I think that makes him a more ambiguous and a more fun character. Mm-hmm. 
Can you remind me who was the uh, the professor in Shada? Professor Cronatus. Uh, Cronatus, right? I mean, that was kind of a fun character. I mean, he was uh, somewhat complex in that he was, you know, a good guy that might not have been a good guy at one point, and uh, you know, the mm-hmm. kind of a couple different things. I mean, that's sort of. I would like to see more more of, of the Gallifreyan race, more Time Lords mm-hmm. uh, of the, of of varying types of like different kinds, not just you know doctor and master but of the of like that's a whole race of people let's let's see the you know, different personalities different types and um, we had the war chief remember him uh from, yeah, from the second doctor could bring him back you know that's disintegrated of thing. but he got disintegrated but we could bring an earlier version of him back exactly um so when, when you mentioned the weeping angels Jim, you it kind of brought up uh, something for me which is a classic problem that uh that star trek had to deal with which is you have a villain, and in the in the very beginning, they are implacable. They're scary. They're hard to defeat. But when you have a TV series, your your heroes eventually defeat them, and then you have to amp them up a little, and you have to because you have to keep raising the stakes, and so they get defeated, even though they're amped up and bigger, bigger, bigger. You had it with the Klingons. You had it with the Borg. You know, it's just something you ha- happened, and I think that happened to the Weeping Angels. So, you know, classically, the first episode, it's you're in a house. It's just a house. And a couple of statues yeah. that move around. That was entirely terrifying to me <laughs> watching that. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, you had a, a cavern full of them. And still a little creepy, especially the part where the one's coming through the screen at Amy. Uh, that was that was really well done. But, okay, we've now we've had this whole thing where there's a cavern full of them. And now we have the Statue of Liberty-sized creeping angel. Yeah. I, mean, I just, I'm, I'm like, where do you go from here? You know, that that's the, and that's, I think that's the problem that we had. And <clears throat> I think we I did that. I can tell you where you go. Uh, okay. Go ahead. What you, what they, so originally, and to play off of your analogy, originally the Klingons were monolithic. They were just these generic bad guys who were loosely modeled off communists and they had really no individual personality. Well, what you do over time is when you, you have this concept for a villain, you want to keep bringing them back. You can't just keep raising the stakes. You give them personalities. You give them uh, different motives and competing factions and things like that. Thus, when Next Gen happened, we suddenly have this much more complex set of Klingons with individual personalities. Worf is totally different than um than Gowron, yeah. for example. And Martok um, and yeah. And Martok and everybody. And um and so you even see that progression with the Borg introducing Hugh and the Borg Queen and Seven of Nine. Mm-hmm. And you could you want to bring the Weeping Angels back and you don't want bigger than Statue of Liberty, you go small again and you give them personalities, which they started to do when they took over one of those soldiers at the crash of the Byzantium and he had a little bit of personality left, Mm -hmm. um, he was all on their side, but he still had some personality and he was very creepy. Um, but you could have a weeping angel who's like the reluctant vampire that, uh, needs to do certain things to survive, but doesn't like what they're having to do. And they've got an internal conflict with it. I might argue that while it worked for the Klingons, I think it did in the Borg, and the Borg are more like the Weeping Angels. Only in the mm-hmm. in that, for me, that what's creepy about both the Borg and the Weeping Angels is the dehumanized nature. They're they're almost a force of nature as opposed to right. uh, persons, and mm-hmm. and I wonder if doing that would 
change the Weeping Angels too much and and remove some of what made them most scary. Uh, we're almost getting into our advice about about Weeping Angels, but but yeah, but, but it's a, well, it's, but it's, that's it's, how you do it. Yeah, if you it, want to do it, that's how you do it. So, um, I wanted to all bring up another uh, question that sort of from the should a practice that whether Chris uh, Chimel should continue, which is in New Who, we've had this sort of practice of season long overarching story arcs. Um, it started with the the the, the, uh, the the ninth doctor and bad wolf. And we kind of continued that a little bit uh, with um, uh, uh, Russell T Davies here, but Stephen Moffat took it and ran with it where we had these season long story arcs, the impossible astronaut mm-hmm. one and, Various ones like that. Is this something Chris Chibnall should continue to do? Is this uh, necessary to New Who um, and to, to to modern TV storytelling? Should we have uh, continue these season long story arcs? Yes or no? So, so the way these story arcs work is they're um, they're sort of arc light. There, this isn't really serialized storytelling, in that each each story does not pick up exactly where the other one left off. These are light motifs that are threaded throughout the episodes. And you may not even notice them at first, like Bad Wolf. I mean, the mere fact that Bad Wolf appears in all of these first season episodes isn't, isn't even something the characters notice until way late in the series. And then it suddenly becomes important. Cracks in time, same thing. We see these cracks in time, but they don't play much of a role in the story. Sometimes we see them and the characters don't. And then it ends up paying off in, in the end. So these are kind of like breadcrumbs that lead you to the uh, gingerbread house where the Wicked Witch lives. And it's really a kind of season arc light storytelling. It's not an intense arc where the whole series is devoted to one plot like Broadchurch. Or is. Um, and they're okay. <clears throat> um, personally, I would tend, and I, if they're, if they're, they may not do it this season, but personally, I would go even stronger. I would have even, we've done the, the breadcrumbs to the gingerbread house model. I'd like to see more traditional. We've only got 10 episodes. Let's make it one big story. Yeah, that's that's sort of the modern way of telling a uh, story, and a lot of uh, TV series, especially in the era of streaming uh, with Netflix and, and Amazon Prime and Hulu, where it's one long story. So, for example, uh, the Expanse TV series, it's mm-hmm. it tells a, a, a season long story. Uh, I mean, this that's just the, the it seems to be common. Uh, I, I it doesn't seem like they're about to do that in in this. Um, no, it doesn't seem like it, but it's yeah. something that I would like to see them do in the future. Okay, uh, and they've they've done it before. I mean, they back in Classico, we had the equivalent of a season. It was like twelve episodes that was all one story. It was the Daleks in um, uh, the Daleks Master Plan, right? And well, we've seen similar things. Yeah, yeah like the uh, the 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 War Games, which was ten episodes uh, yeah. uh, in one season. Uh, you know, well, back then, when the seasons were much longer. Well, then, you, then you had the Kia Time series where it was what three, four? No, it was a uh, six serials, but it was mm-hmm. all one story of finding this key to time. 
Yeah, that was sort of a MacGuffin hunt model where you each 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 cereal you have to find a new chunk. But it did have a a, a it was sort of more united than the breadcrumbs, mm-hmm. but less united than right. here's just one com- consistent story. See, I, I guess I'm I'm kind of a yes and no of, of doing the the story arc. I like the I I, I guess I kind of like the way it is done now, where the story there is this overarching arc throughout the season, but not every story has to advance that arc. You know, um, of course, the, the, what they usually do, though, like you mentioned, Jimmy, is they'll, they'll tag on a little bit at the end of an episode that kind of hints to it or or something from the story arc will show up in the episode and it'll be kind of a blink of the eye and it's gone. And I, I guess I kind of like that way of doing it because then it, it allows for the independent stories. It allows for the stories that are just completely standalone and kind of more fun, you know, versus, oh, we got to make sure we advance our story arc. We advance what this the story as we go along. Now, that being said, I almost would like to see Doctor Who get more to the serialized format again, like it was in Classic Who, but having both serial and, you know, some balance between the two of them. And I don't know how you would do that. I mean, again, with the restrictions on TV programming and so on. But there, there's, I, something, I, there's something there's something about you, serial format. Mm-hmm. I don't think you have to, like, commit to one or the other. I think you can do different things in different seasons. I'm just mm-hmm. saying I'd like to see a season where it is one big story mm-hmm. just to do that for a change. Because we've had, ever since New Who came back, we've had this model of it's almost all standalones, almost all single parters, right. and just breadcrumbs connecting them. Yeah, although there was uh, what was it two seasons ago where they there had, was a two parter season. Yeah, every almost every episode yeah. was two parters. Uh, so, uh, well, I'd like to. T- they talked about in the in the the Comic Con trailer. They had they, they they talked about new monsters, but new time periods and new places, new worlds that they were going to visit. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about what new time periods do I want to see the Doctor travel to. Um, and actually, one I'd really like to see the Doctor go to is one we've actually seen and talked about recently, which is I'd love to see them do things like go back to the Aztecs, you know, to go mm-hmm. to some of these time periods that are because the, the time traveling Doctor has, has sort of in, in New Who has sort of been confined to, you know, when time traveling on Earth has either been, like we've been to ancient Rome uh, once, I think just once. Uh, yep. But otherwise, most of the Middle Middle Ages or Regency Victorian Edwardian England, sort of sort of like the 19th and 20th century England. And that's mm-hmm. kind of it. I, I'd like to see them go to the Aztecs. Been to, we've been to America a few times. Uh, we went to 19th century America uh, in a town called Mercy. Was was there? And, and New York in the 30s and right. uh, Washington in the 1960s and Utah in the 1960s and That's right. so That's forth. Right. right, 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 right. Yeah. Um, so I'd like to see some some variation on that. How about, um, you know, uh, Ming Dynasty China or, or, or mm-hmm. to, you know, we, well, the pyramids have come to us, but, you know, the, but you know what I mean? I want to see. Um, you know, so because time travel on Earth is a big uh, essential element of Doctor Who. I mean, that was originally part of the the original charter for the show. Uh, mm-hmm. What new time periods and places would you like to? Would you advise Chris Chibnall to to visit? Uh, 
either either one of you. <laughs> I'm, try, I'm trying to think. I mean, there, there there's there are a lot of things that really could be done. Um, Native American, historic Native American. You know, yeah. like you, you mentioned Aztec, but even you know more northern Native American, like around here. You know, right. The, the Native Americans we have, like in North America. Um, uh, that's, some of, that's a whole continent, dude. There are a lot of different types of Native Americans well, in I North know. America. I, I'm very, very well there. Well, but you, that, when but, you say around here, you live in Montana, so yeah, that, exactly. that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, you know. Um, you know. It, I guess I, I'd like to see them with cultures that are very different from ours. Right. You know, not just you know, it, it, you know. England 100 years, 200, 300 years ago, there's still a lot of similarities in culture. They really don't explore a lot of the, let's go to a culture that is very different, you know, more itinerant cultures, things, you know, again, like- Semi-nomadic or nomadic, you mean? Yeah, 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 something like that. Middle Eastern, African. Well, and that's a, that's one of the things that, that kind of strikes me with, with a lot of, you know, there's lots of talk of diversity and, you know, mm-hmm. casting people of various backgrounds and, and showing characters that, you know, as I say, look like me. But mm-hmm. <clears throat> Doctor Who has played it safe <laughs> so very mm-hmm. often by showing mainly things that are from Britain. You know, uh, well, you know. partly that's home court advantage because, you know, yep. the audience is going to be interested in sure. that. And partly it's because you've got BBC prop and wardrobe departments just exactly. stuffed full of things you can use. Sure. Um, if but there are lots of other cultures that, that either haven't been touched on or have barely been touched on. Um, you could do the Australian Aborigines. For example, there's all kinds of time in, you know, in history where you could visit. There are lots of different cultures, not just the famous ones, but lots of different cultures uh, that have been in Southeast Asia. Um, obviously, I mean, you mentioned China. There's obviously India, Korea, Japan, Thailand, Laos, the the Hmong people, um, the uh, India. There's all kinds of stuff there that you could do. Which when you mentioned, you know, the, the home court advantage. Doctor Who has become such a worldwide phenomenon, especially in Asia, as we saw when mm-hmm. uh, Peter Capaldi and, and and Jenna Coleman did their world tour a few years ago. Uh, they were huge when they went to like Korea and Japan. There were huge audiences came out to see them. And imagine how that you know having their own cultures uh, featured on a on Doctor Who, how that would attract those audiences. I mean, so. You know, hey, BBC, BBC, this is good for you. Go, go out and do this. Yeah. How about the Zulu? You know, the uh, of, of Africa. Mm-hmm. I mean, that would be fascinating to see. Uh, I would, you know, there's there's so many stories out there possible just in the time traveling around Earth that I would like to see happen. Um, uh, so that that would be great. But um, even if they travel to you know to, to some more places in America, I would be that would kind of be mm-hmm. interesting. Um, you know, they we're still kind of exotic from a British perspective. <laughs> well, and again, it's easy enough to get American actors and American locations and, and that sort of stuff. So if, if that's a problem, um, I, I think I think for a lot of that, obviously, is money. Yes. You know, it, they, they, they they've got a much, much better budget, even by by uh, inflation standards than they had for classic who. But that being said, there's still a limit to how much traveling they can do. Well, that, that brings to my next question is, is um, our advice for production design and location shooting. And 
one of the things that they've they've done very well, and actually that mo- that a lot of modern TV does very well, is adapting locations to look like places that are very different. Uh, I, I think of for, for for example, the spaghetti westerns. You know, yep. like um, yep. those were done in Spain, but wow, it actually looks like the American Southwest. Right. Uh, the TV show Lost was a, was famous for you know filming in Hawaii. But uh, often they had to make things look like, you know, they had episodes where the story was set in Russia, in Siberia, you know, and they mm-hmm. were, had to make it look Hawaii, make it look like Siberia. And they were able to do it. <laughs> you know, they, the, these location scouts are great. And Doctor Who has often traveled to um, Spain and to uh, the Canary Islands. I think they did some shooting at and the Azores mm-hmm. to, to, to get some of these location shots. What kind of so. What do you want to see from production, both production design? And these are really two different things, production design and location shooting. And production design is the, how the show looks. Um, so what, what do you what what do you have? Um, and, and maybe to, when we talk about production design, we could talk about um, wardrobe. We've already seen the doctor's main costume. Yeah. So that's not as important, I suppose. But um, not a fan. Yeah, uh, we've also seen the Doctor's uh, new sonic screwdriver. Also, uh, not a fan. Yeah, very organic looking, uh, as opposed to mechanical. It's like how I kind of describe it. Um, and uh, and the, but we have what um, as of this recording, we have not yet seen the new TARDIS, either the either inside or the interior. Outside. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. We've seen the exterior in the that initial reveal of the Doctor last year. But we haven't seen uh, an interior yet. Uh, mm-hmm. So what? So on those two things, uh, any any advice for Chris Chibnall? Let's talk about the t- the t- the TARDIS. Actually, what is your advice on the TARDIS control room? Get, with the understanding that this part of our conversation may be obsolete by the time it releases to the <laughs> audience. Yeah. Well, I want to see them avoid the the junk room TARDIS. That mm-hmm. was one of the things I absolutely hated when they rebooted the series is the console looked like the doctor just threw a bunch of junk together and made a console out of it. This was the ninth doctor, Russell T. Davies. Ninth doctor, yeah. tenth yeah. doctor. He had yeah. like ketchup and mustard squirters on it. Yeah, typewriters and, you know. Yep. It should look like an advanced machine. No, mm-hmm. the doc, you know, the first doctor's TARDIS doesn't look like that. That's because in 1960, that looked like state of the art technology. <laughs> well, right. Well, it did look like an advanced machine. That's what they imagined it to look For 1960. like. 1960. Yeah. You know, um, but, and, but, you know, my, my favorite, my favorite console, uh, is the Peter Davison and following where it's got buttons and switches and displays and, you know, it looks like a, an advanced computer console that's going to run a state-of-the-art time machine, not you know something, not something again that's a pile of junk. So that's, that's I think that's the biggest thing is avoid. It doesn't have to look quite as sterile as um, the Matt Smith into Peter Capaldi TARDIS did. You know that was almost a you know a server dark, in, dark industrial kitchen. Yeah. You know, I, I think there's kind of a middle ground there they can find where it still looks advanced. I mean, my my fanboy dream would be bring back the roundels, bring back the mm-hmm. white, bring yep. back the classic look of the TARDIS. But so, that's probably a fanboy's pipe dream. What I've seen, actually, there was a, a, a the BBC, again, after Comic-Con, 
uh, released this uh, image of the doctor, uh, the universe is calling, and it shows the doctor just holding her uh, her sonic screwdriver. But behind her, you actually see there's a bunch of stuff obscuring, but you see actually roundels uh, behind mm-hmm. her, which is very interesting. Awesome. Yeah, so that's, that's awesome. Yeah. I, I would I I agree with um, with Father Corey. I think that um, I haven't liked any of the new era who Tardis Tardis interiors. I I thought they've all been bad, um, starting with uh, Christopher Eccleston's, and I think they've gotten worse. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I didn't like the big coral, but then the dark. The, the, stuff that you've had in recent seasons where you can't hardly see anything in um in matt smith and peter capaldi seasons i haven't liked um what about what about the 19 the 1960s lava lamp look the first matt smith era yeah i well i haven't liked any of them as i (laughs) said um i would i would like to i i i would like to go back to some variation of the original classic tardis with roundels i think that would also be a good thing for them to do um to signal continuity with the show we're making some big changes so here are a few changes that are throwbacks as a way to signal we're still the same show. Um, that I think would be good. Also, I want to see light in the TARDIS again. It's been murky for so long, whether it's orange murky or blue murky, but it's been murky. And let's have some light and it, it'll be a breath of fresh air, like when you throw open the windows in the morning. I think that, that comes from the Eighth Doctor, because that was the first time they really had this more modern, dark interior yeah. TARDIS. Yes, um, mm-hmm. but that was wh- more of a Victorian style sitting room. Yeah, than it was the way so it is now. The 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 older the cl- so the classic TARDIS control room was um, intimate, shall we say? It was mm-hmm. smaller. Yeah. Uh, the modern tendency has been to cavernous, big, cathedral like. Mm-hmm. Um, do, do you have a preference? Do you prefer? it to be smaller or larger the so with the with the modern larger ones as they've made it larger they've still kept the central focus of the space very intimate um to where you have the doctor and companions interacting basically just around the console mm-hmm. and that's not the way it was originally originally in William Hartnell era Doctor Who they went other places in the TARDIS we got to see other rooms we got to see sleeping quarters we got to see all kinds of stuff mm-hmm. um i would like to see that again um it, one of the things with the more recent designs like even though they've made the room itself bigger there's like this narrow little platform around the console, which is where you're forced to stand. Mm-hmm. And so um, it's just kind of the illusion of size. They haven't really given us size. I'd rather see them open it up. I don't, ca- I don't care so much how big the console room is. I'd like to see more of the TARDIS than just the console room. I definitely agree with that. Uh, so here's a, a small production design uh, uh, question, but a big difference between New Who and Classic Who. Classic Who, the doors uh, on mm-hmm. the interior had this, they looked very different and obviously not the same as the exterior of the TARDIS yeah. door. 
And kind of like there was an antechamber between the uh, exterior doors and the interior doors. Right. Except sometimes when you saw through the interior doors, there was no antechamber and you're looking right outside. So you had to yeah. have willing suspension of disbelief on that. In New Who, it's been there's a door. The door, it's, it looks like the inside part of the door that you see from the outside. Um, mm -hmm. and, and the, It pretty so, much is the inside part of the door of the outside. Right, exactly. Uh is is the is there something to that classic who way of doing it that that is that we need to recover that you think they should bring back? No, I actually think the the new design that is one aspect of the new design that's an improvement mm -hmm. because there was always this conceptual problem of why do these not match and what's happening in between them and they've effectively eliminated that by making the interior of the door look like the reverse side of the exterior of the door. That actually is an improvement to my mind. Okay. No, I definitely agree with that as as well, you know, I've I've always thought of it, you know, that there must be like this little very very dark because of course the door is open and all you see is black you know in, in the old in a lot right. of classic who and so oh there must right. be this very very dark little antechamber you go through and no light from outside gets in but of course then they have episodes where you can see out <laughs> the door and you can see what's outside through green screen technology of course um so i i do agree with with jimmy on that definitely as it, it makes that connection between the outside of the tars and the inside much more clear it feels more real uh, that way. It feels less like a soundstage. Uh, I agree with that. Um, so uh, we've had some stunt casting in the past, Jimmy. You've mentioned the, that in, in mm -hmm. our, some of our previous discussions. Um, should Chris Chibnall pursue some uh, stunt casting, uh, whether bringing in um, actors who've from from the past or uh, even characters from the past? What do you think? Should is this something that that new who that this new series needs, or should we just get rid of it? Well, he's kind of done the ultimate stunt casting of of casting the doctor as a woman now. I mean, that's the stunt, <laughs> and um, and so I don't really have a desire to see more stunt casting for now. Um, I whether it's celebrities, most of the British celebrities, I'm not familiar with anyway. Um, so it doesn't mean most of the time when they do stunt casting, it, it doesn't really mean much to me. Also, I, I'm not really interested except for like River Song or, uh, the, or Missy. Michelle Gomez. I'm, yeah, I'm not really interested in seeing characters from the past at this point. Um, I think the show needs to stand on its own. Stunt casting is something you tend to do when either opportunistically just because someone becomes available or when you need to pump the ratings. Right now, the show needs to prove itself, and that means largely standing on its own. Okay. okay. Well, the court, you have and, a, it, Go ahead. In future seasons, I wouldn't mind seeing stuff, you know, yeah. older characters coming back. But mm -hmm. for right now, I want to learn these people. Okay. See, the, the one person I, I, I'd like to see, but but they missed, I think they missed the opportunity. And that was, uh, William Russell played Ian Chesterton. Yeah. Mm, they missed yeah. the opportunity because they should have had him come on when Clara was teaching there at Cole Hill school. That would have been yeah. the perfect opportunity. It would have been completely natural that at some point, you know, the headmaster or, or whatever, I can't remember what his board of governors or whatever his title was. Yeah. Would have been 
perfect, yeah. you know, just natural that he was showing up at some point at the school. And oh, by the way, you you remember me? <laughs> you know? Yeah, I'll give you. Okay, I'll give you two dispensations for Ian and Susan. Right. right. Yeah. Either one of them, Susan, I'd love to see. Susan, that. Susan would be interesting too. Wait, right. When the doctor was posing as a custodian at Cole Hill School, it, that should have happened. I mean, that this, they should yeah. have made it happen. But yes, uh, Ian or Susan. I mean, Susan is, is is a very interesting case in that she's she's family. She's the doctor's family. I mean, she yeah. really. And then when they hinted at that in the beginning of last season by putting her picture on the doctor's desk at the at the university and didn't nothing happened with off. that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was disappointing. Yeah. But well, if we you should. want to tie, tie it into that also, what about Jenny, doctor's daughter? Right. Also, uh, in a way, blood. Jenny is, yeah, Jenny is a mopey to me. Um, mopey, <laughs> mopey was a character in DC Comics that they introduced at one point to explain the origin of the Flash. He was a kind of mystical imp. He was one of the seven heavenly helpers. And it turned out he was responsible for the lab accident that gave Barry Allen his powers. And Mopey was universally hated. And so by common consent, he was conveniently forgotten. And I, that's kind of what Ginny is to me. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, so, uh, Speaking of stunt casting, then, uh, in a sort of related vein, what about um, we I think we kind of talked about this before, but uh, we can kind of uh, dive into this. What about a future doctor's special like we've seen in the past? Three doctors, five doctors, uh, the day of the doctor, uh, where we have multiple doctors together. Um, Probably not in the first season. I mean, that's that's probably a bad idea. Um, But at but at some point in the 13th doctor's run. Uh, would you like to see a, a, a multiple doctors together again? Um, and which ones? I, I think it's a, it's a story that type that's worth revisiting from time to time. Typically it's done on an anniversary. It right. was first done on the 10th anniversary. It was done again on the 25th anniversary. Um, it's only been done. And on the 50th, it's only been done one time. Uh, that was not an anniversary. That was when they had Patrick Troughton come mm-hmm. during Colin Baker's period for the two doctors. Um, I would not try to fit in every living doctor. Uh, that's been done. And you're not going to get Christopher Eccleston probably anyway. Uh, and the story becomes too unwieldy the more mm-hmm. characters you have. Uh, I actually like the approach they did in in the 50th anniversary special where they they what they wanted was the most was the three new who doctors and they didn't get Christopher Eccleston so they created the war doctor but it was basically three doctors with Tom Baker appearing as a nod to the classic era you know at some point we're going to hit another anniversary and that'll be fine to do one i don't know which anniversary and unless you have a really good story involving the personalities of two doctors, I wouldn't do it in a non-anniversary setting. Uh, yeah, we're five years out from the 60th anniversary. Right. But yeah. Give it a little bit. And that's probably longer than Jodie Whittaker's doctor will be around. Remaining. Not impossible, of course, but. Um, yeah. I and mean, she can always come back for that, too. Right. Right. Yep. Uh. Companions. 
what what should we see from companions? We Ooh, are. I know this one. I know this one. <laughs> <laughs> we should have companions. Uh, yes. And we, so, what right now we know that there are three companions uh, in this first uh, this this current coming series. Uh, mm -hmm. a, an older gentleman, uh, a young woman of Southwest Indian background. I'm not sure if she's Pakistani or Indian or something like that. Um, and then a, a young black man. Uh, they're mm -hmm. there and they very clearly in uh, in all of the promotional material make it clear that uh, they're not using the word companion, but they're using the word friends. And in fact, in the, the Comic-Con trailer, uh, the doctor says, will you be my new best friends? Um, Which is a great reframing. Yes. Uh, a companion is kind of an old term. An yeah. oldish. And before that, it was assistant. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a whole another way of doing it. Um, and, or, or snack, as Missy says. <laughs> and uh, the, uh, the 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 idea being that there's a lot more uh, equality between the companions and the doctors. This it's not so much a uh, I'm the commander and you're my uh, my uh, followers, but more of a let we're traveling together as a group, and I just happen to know more and have more skills in some areas than you. Uh, so what is it you want to see in, in, in these, in the new companions for that may be a, a contrast or a continuation? Well, I'm going to say this. The, the, one of the first things for me is keep the companions on the TARDIS. <laughs> what would, do you mean? What do you mean? Like don't... keep them the lo longer with the doctor over a period of time? You know, this, this idea where, like Clara, where she was on the TARDIS long enough for adventure and then went back home and got on and went back yeah. home and got on. and went. You, you want resident companions. Yeah. You okay. know, I mean, in, again, classic who that was pretty much the standard. Um, you had a couple, you know, it's one thing like with Rose where they would go back to, you know, visit Jackie and Mickey and all that. OK, that's fine. But this idea of they're never really spent. They're on and off, on and off, on and off, on and off. I, I thought it got a little tiresome, personally. Mm -hmm. Right. That they were living their own <clears throat> lives in between adventures on the right. TARDIS. And it, again, yeah. this kind of, maybe this goes to the idea of, you know, the more the continuous story. Um, it's harder to do when the doctor's constantly dropping them off at home and then has to go pick them up to continue the story. Yeah. Um, yeah. The second it, that's that's something that uh, has been done recently. And so we've seen that model. So, yeah, I agree. Going back to the resident companion model would be a good thing. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's the first thing I've got. Second one is we don't need doctor is my girlfriend. Uh -huh. <laughs> yes. Draw, we don't need some kind of love triangle with the doctor and companions. We don't need one of the companions getting into a relationship with the doctor. Just I, And I, th I think they've signaled by the, the companions they've chosen. They're not going to go that way, which I think is good. Right. Yeah. The, so. uh, the, the one uh, old, older male is so much older that it, it's almost a father figure. The mm -hmm. other two are much younger uh, yeah. than she is. Uh, and, and that I think, yeah, I think that makes a clear signal. And that, that maybe that's another uh, aspect of our advice that Chris Chibnall, mm -hmm. uh, which maybe he's already following, is avoid the ro the romantic elements uh, yeah. between the doctor and companions, etc. It, it would have been totally uninteresting if uh, so, you've got this dynamic when you flip the gender, you have this dynamic change with respect to the companions. If you it, it, one approach would be to say, OK, now that we have a woman doctor, we need a male companion. 
But if you've got only one male companion, it just feels cliche and uninteresting. Mm-hmm. Um, if you have only one companion and it's female, a younger female, then that feels weird too. And so I think they've made the correct choice by having multi- multiple companions of different ages, none of whom are likely romantic interests for the doctor. I think that's a good dynamic. Obviously, it's one, it's the dynamic we started with, mm-hmm. uh, with the very first companions with Ian, Barbara, and Susan. Um, and so I think, I think that's a good move. I am a little concerned about how this is going to play out because I've heard, as I've heard they're going to like be going to civil rights era periods and stuff like that. And that has the potential to, given the, the racial makeup of the cast, that has the potential to get heavy on race politics, which is not what I'm here for. Right. right. Um, so I'm a little concerned about that. I'm also, I'm glad that they broke with the model of 20th century young British woman. Um, mm-hmm. 20, 21st century young British woman. Uh, I would break with it even more. I would like to see companions in the next go round from other time periods or planets. I agree. But yep. at least we don't have, oh, here's our latest 21st century young British woman as the companion. Right. We just have one of them, but, but you're yeah. right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you, I agree. I'd like to see companions like, like along the Jamie model of, you know, uh, uh, an 18th century Scotsman or, uh, yeah. you know, I mean, or but, Nissa from a whole other culture and planet. Exactly. Not Adric. Or Zoe, Zoe from the future. Not <laughs> yeah, Adric. Not Adric. had enough traders. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I agree. Uh, they, they, they got into a rut. Actually, I, I feel like the last season, uh, the 12th Doctor, they actually kind of broke that rut a little bit where they had Nardole and Bill and the Doctor. Yeah. And there was no romantic tension between them of uh, in there at all. And they there was three of them, and it created a nice dynamic. And I look forward to seeing that play out in a group of four. Um, it, however, they do that, and I think they should continue to work on that. Um, I'd like to see companions stick around for a little bit, maybe not as long as Clara did, as much as I like Clara, uh, but to see some turnover slowly, not all at once. Yeah. In, in the whole Stephen Moffat era, we basically, I mean, in Russell T. Davies, we had a companion for one, two years tops. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then in the entire Stephen Moffat era, we basically had two companions with adjuncts. Right. It was yep. either the Amy era or the Clara era. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, so I'd like to see more of that. I'd like to see, not that I'm not, I'm not bloodthirsty, but, you know, real jeopardy for companions. I'd like to see Chibnall break away from Stephen Moffat's inability to kill off a character. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As, I mean, I, I, I'm wary of saying that because, because the first thing he's going to do is going to kill off my favorite character, uh, you yeah. know, whoever that is. <laughs> <laughs> but I, and I don't want to see a game of Thrones style, you know, just slaughter them all, you know, but yeah, but the, but Moffat had coming this, from a murder show. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Moffat had this tendency to, to, you know, like the classic is Clara into the Raven. Oh, Clara has died. Oh, goodbye, Clara. Oh, till no. next episode. Yeah. Oh, she's not actually. She's she's only mostly dead. Uh, she's Monty yeah, Python exactly. dead. Um, so uh, the, I'd like to see him break from that. Which brings me to the next my my next 
question and then we can kind of anything else you want to add, add do's and don'ts. Uh, but should we see Clara in a shoulder? They kind of, that's we they got no. kind of left and <laughs> <laughs> the Jimmy no, is here from <laughs> Jimmy's here. Well, they kind of got left, you know, going off of their own TARDIS. Um, the, the female quote unquote doctor of Clara and her companion, um, you know, Clara is sort of almost time lordish. There's so they're kind of out there. Jimmy, you say no. Father Corey, and I'll let you expand on it, but Father Corey, go ahead. I, I, I'm very much in, along with Jimmy. No. Okay. Now, the, the other question is, are we? At some point, I think we will. <laughs> you think Whether yeah. or not we should is another story. Right. But well, I this have is, a feeling is, that's a yeah. temptation out there. Yeah, this is our advice. So your, our, <clears throat> your, your advice is no. Uh, as Again, as much as well, I, I, I had <clears throat> relish the possibilities of that story of the kind of story you could tell i i think i agree i think we need to make that break and move on uh from yeah. from this i i i think a was never an interesting character i i mean she may mean something to you if you're a game of thrones fan i've never seen that show so she doesn't mean anything to me and she was not an interesting character on doctor who clara i'm done with I liked aspects of her time, but I'm done with Clara. And um, and I think Big Finish has a whole universe that any necessary Clara and Ashilder stuff can happen in. Okay. Okay. Uh, that's good. All right. So uh, I, so we're in agreement on that one. Uh, so uh, any any last bits of advice you want to share that you've that you've uh, written down, both do's and don'ts. Things that make do. it good and don't make it bad. <laughs> don't screw it up, Chibnall. <laughs> yeah. uh, Father you know, Corey? Uh, you know, one thing I thought about, you know, we've talked about this a lot, is how many stories were the entire known universe and every bit of the universe that has ever existed and every bit of the universe that will ever exist yeah. is going to explode instantly if I don't do this. Yeah. Get rid of that. Smaller Simplify story. the scope yeah. of the stories. You know, it, yeah. you can turn make it down to one. It's you a, can make very entertaining, suspenseful stories that involves one family, that involves a small town, that right. involves a, a, a certain group of people, or a person, or a person. We don't need to know that the whole of the universe is going to end forever, <laughs> and billions and trillions and gazillions of people are going to die if the doctor doesn't do this one little thing. Yeah. Yes, half the universe will die at the snap of a finger. The yeah. reframing of the companions as best friends is potentially a good sign in that regard because if your th friends are under threat, that gives you all the drama you need. Mm -hmm. Right, right. There was a what was it the the twelfth doctor talked about? He had a uh, a duty of care, I think he said, um, and and that's like that's actually because it meant he had a responsibility for the people who travel with him. And that's actually a good thing. I and mean, they should have played that more, that idea of, uh, you know, to take care of the, the people in front of you and make the stories smaller. Uh, again, so there were some great stories in the Moffat era that were small stories, like Listen, where it was just basically almost just the doctor alone in the TARDIS, or was he? Uh, you know, and that sort of thing. Those were those are great stories. So I agree with you on that one. Make the stories smaller. Uh, anything else? That's all I got. Okay. Uh, Jimmy, you're uh, any, any I'm more? I'm on record as pro-goodness and anti-badness. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'll join you on that one. That's a, that's an easy 
want me to think. Okay, so <clears throat> that's our advice for Chris Chibnall. Uh, what do you, the listener, what is your advice for Chris Chibnall? Or what did you think of our advice uh, for Chris Chibnall uh, on this? Uh, did you, you know, do you, are we off base? Do you have a different opinion? Uh, let us know. Get it in quick so we so we can get it in before they put the new ep- series out and they can incorporate your advice into the new series. <laughs> but uh, so let us know by visiting sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page. Uh, leave us some uh, feedback there uh, or send us an email to Who at sqpn.com. Uh, you can find links to all of our personal social media and websites on our show notes on sqpn.com. Uh, until next time, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Doctor Who. Yeah, glad to be here. Thanks, Dom. Uh, Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening. When will I see you again? Uh, soon, I expect. Or later. One of those.